Hello and welcome to The Imad Show, where we get to sit down with entrepreneurs and creative spirits from around the world. You can find me on Instagram at Ahmad Mia, A-M-A-D-M-I-A-A-N, or at The Ahmad Show. This week, I got a chance to sit down with Mushtari Hilal, an Afghan-German artist and illustrator living in Berlin. In this episode, Mushtari talks about the role art played in her life and how it was instrumental in connecting her with her roots in Afghanistan. Mushtari also shares the intricacies of her story growing up in a Western country as an immigrant, facing issues of representation, racism, and guilt. She shows us how she deconstructed false truths and the many narratives that were being presented to her to make sense of her life and to create a unified narrative that was more representative of herself and of her complexities. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mushtari. It was the first time I ever did a conversation and a podcast over the phone. So it was a huge learning experience for myself. So do I do um, apologize for um, the audio quality and, and the way it might sound. But I think you guys will love this conversation. It was super interesting. It resonated so deeply with myself. Um, and I really hope that you guys enjoy the show. So without further ado, let's get straight to it. So my family comes from uh, Afghanistan and mm -hmm. I was two years old when they fled to um, Germany. So since I'm two, I grew up in Germany. We lived as refugees and um, yeah, basically most of my life. Um, and then I started studying something completely different, like not art at all. I studied um, Middle Eastern studies and politics in Hamburg yeah. and then later in Berlin and recently in London. And next to studying, I always kept drawing and doing my artworks. And at some point, it just grew so fast that I, you know, I kept going to university, but I focused on my art. Yeah. And um, yeah, one initial moment was, me graduating from school and going back to um, Afghanistan, to Kabul. It yeah. was not my first time, but it was the first time that I decided to go there. Like before that, I would go with my family and just visit families, you know. Oh and God, like at that time, that. yeah, so I didn't see, like I didn't really know any Afghans <laughs> outside <laughs> of my family. So, um, and I have a really conservative family, like they're, I mean, also due to the security, you know, the insecurity in Afghanistan, I really get it that they don't really socialize, they don't really do a lot except for the most um, crucial necessities of everyday life. And I was so interested what, you know, what other people do because I knew, um, especially young Afghans, um, they are invested in changing um, the culture of the country, um, the city at least, um, the capital city, or, you know, they they want to change something, at least in their lives. And so when I graduated, yeah. I focused on meeting artists. And um, somehow, I don't know, maybe because the artist bubble is so small and there are not actually many people so privileged and having access to, you know, art production, art spaces and so on. Um, it was pretty easy to get access to that and get to know most of them. And um, yeah, um, I've, I participated in one of the first 
um, alternative arts festivals in Kabul, uh, and um, yeah, I, I yeah found friends, and um, unfortunately, most of them left the country, yeah. and the festival is also not taking place anymore. But it, you know, during 2012 and 13, it was this time when everything was possible. Like people actually believed there was. A peaceful future so they would yeah. invest and they would like have studios and they would have exhibitions and this festival for example it even had um, posters on the street and they went to national tv and you know talked about the festival so a bigger public um audience would um care about and maybe come mm-hmm. um and at that time i realized that being an artist kind of connects me to them like even though we had really different biographies and um I didn't know anyone and I was so young I mean I didn't even have much experience having an artistic practice like I was drawing and having a specific mindset would connect me to them and that was the moment when I decided to um show my work too yeah. Um, I started showing my work in Afghanistan and then when I came back to Germany I had like small you know uh, low budget underground exhibitions and it kind that. of grew with time but at the what same you, time I also you... realized what? sorry go on I'm, so, I'm sorry I didn't hear you did you say something? no 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 please go on and but at the same time when I came back I also realized that um the representation, uh, Afghan rep- representation, um, is so, it's such a minority issue. Like, there are so few Afghans involved in, in the diaspora or even in the country in producing art and producing mm-hmm. culture that yeah. really um, a small number of people become the spokesperson. You know, like, there are like right a couple, a handful of. become that beacon, basically. Yeah, basically, they become the voice of a yeah. really diverse group of people. And this happened to me when I came back to Hamburg, my hometown in Germany. Um, I was constantly asked about Afghanistan and the art scene. And you have to know, I was like 18 or 19 years old at yeah. that time. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, um, I mean, this is telling, right? Like how, um, like even I was, I was even invited to um, South Asia conference at the University of Hamburg and they yeah. asked me to talk about the arts in Kabul and I at that time I was like wow what a chance but now that I think back I think they did really bad research right like I mean they just took a young person with no experience or education on that field um, because they didn't bother to actually invite someone from the country, you know, or actually um, find someone who is an established artist or established in that field. Like there's really um, this trap of being, um, you know, the single voice or single re- representation for a super complex um group of people, society, uh, in that case, country. And um, and then also, you know, being like a Muslim, being a woman of color, being an Afghan, I got a lot of invitations and um, 
uh, interview requests in Germany that put me in this tokenized um, space. And this is when I yeah. politicized and I realized, okay, so I have to be aware that there is imperial knowledge production about my people, about myself. So I would have to be really aware of how I say things and what I say and um, also not to be instrumentalized. So yeah, this is how I got more interested in post-colonial theory, um, decolonial um, approaches to um, knowledge production, but also art production. And yeah. also my work shifted because in the beginning I would, you know, draw things about gender relations in my family, but I knew that was like feeding into um, Islamophobic stereotypes towards Muslim women mm -hmm. and Muslim communities. And I knew that, um, that if I want to continue a career in Germany and I lived in Germany, I have to shift the conversation and I have to talk critically about Western, Western majority culture that is affecting me more than, I don't know, the Afghan society because I'm living abroad. Yeah, and this is also how I shifted um, was, my work was there, towards... Um, was there a moment when you were doing your work well, there's a couple of things which you said, which are super interesting, um, which I want to kind of poke a little about. Was there a moment where you, with the work that you were producing, like, I don't know how you are, like, if you, as I actually know, you mentioned that your family is much more conservative, but then you're in a society mm. which is much more liberal and open, um, living in Germany and growing up in Germany. And, and you, no matter what happens, you have to, as like a person growing up, I mean, I had this person over here as well, where you, you're juggling the two kind of norms, right? Like you go home and it's like this super conservative um, society, which has taken a lot of their values from Afghanistan or from my case, Pakistan. And then you go out into the world and it's something that's completely different. And just how you said, like people sometimes tend to exploit the, the innocence or yeah. the, uh, the unknowing um, nature that you can or a person can have when they're much much younger and they don't necessarily understand what the other person's motive is behind either bringing you in to speak for um a culture or a different kind of uh, not a reform but um on a, on a podium for instance yeah yeah it was really important for me um to realize that People are not just listening to you. They want you to speak about something. They will hear what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. So you never in an empty space and you just express your mind and you speak from a personal subjective, you know, position. When you speak, um, there are people who already have set mindsets and even the title, for example, for an interview can frame everything you say and suddenly it goes in a direction that you didn't intend, right? But at the same time, I also don't want to stop talking about sexual assault or gender um, oppression in Afghanistan or in yeah. Afghan communities in the diaspora yeah. because these things are also real, right? So how yeah. do I navigate this super political space that is about my identity somehow? And um, how do I express myself in a way that um, gives me more control over what I say? And for me, it was really important to realize when to speak, um, 
to whom I mean um, mm. being being a person that ha that has access to more than one more than two um, even more than I don't know five or six um, cultural codes being you know uh, one of few in my family that got a university education um, being one of very few in my within my university context that had access to traveling the world um, who has access to art the arts world I mean it's just like you know every little bubble every um, cultural um, sphere has its own language and its own yeah. access to knowledge and experience and just realizing that this is making me complicated for mainstream society but also so resourceful and how do I how can I find strategies and combining these things or maybe being you know more vocal about one thing and keeping one uh, keeping the other more discreet for um, yeah. you know a safe space I don't like the word safe space because I don't believe there's safe space but I don't talk about um, for example, I don't talk about um, me being discriminated as an Af Afghan woman mm -hmm. and my communities to someone who can't relate at all because why, you know, like what what are they going to do with that information? Um, but I will definitely talk about um, racism and or even like gender discrimination in Germany uh, with a German audience, I will tell them about how their teachers are discriminating school kids because of their religion or how they, you know, only teach, I don't know, Christianity and, um, uh, yeah, Jewish Christian religion in their school and they, you know, pretend that Islam is a toxic uh, kind of um, the yeah, bias religion or set of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bias, right? Like these little things that I also experience that are also based on my knowledge, but they are more critical towards the majority culture. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. But um, don't, don't you think that even the minority culture is now, to a certain extent, a majority culture just by the world that we live in today? Because even I think it's not so much about my... Yeah, but become... it's not so much about uh, minority and majority, but I think it's about power, right? Like who has the power in a space? And mm -hmm. then I criticize those who are in power. Like if it's at home, of course, I criticize um, the eldest. I criticize those oh God, who I... have more power about the others, right? But yeah. if it's like in a workplace, I will criticize capitalism. I will criticize the party polit um, uh, policies. I will criticize the infrastructure, you know? Like why would I shift the focus to my parents then? Because in that space, they are a minority and they are discriminated. And... Um, I agree, you know? but I, 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 I agree yeah. and I understand where you're coming from. But I do think that there is there is something to be said in vocal. I, I mean, the relationship, for instance, like that you might have with your parents, I, I think would be relatable to a lot of people. Like, for instance, when you just said the hierarchy of people just being older than you and having to do the respect thing, like I have that in my family and me and my brother argue about that all the time. And I 
like the amount of times that we've had this conversation with other people and it just the relatability with other cultures and other people that have the same kind of dynamic that for instance i might have in my family i i, I don't want to discount that I, I do think that that is a powerful thing as well because some some people really do struggle with this um sometimes more than what a society might be like more than a capitalistic society might be affecting them or a political society might be affecting them something at home might be affecting them even more and i do think that there is something to be said there yeah i agree i agree but um uh you know like sometimes for example in the case of um for example in germany there's huge bias towards muslim men or men mm -hmm. of color in general like they're being treated as if they're um just going to assault everyone especially white women you know people yeah. change side of the street no one wants to you know meet them when in the dark um they have even like vocabularies like really racist vocabularies oh, wow. describing them and these are used in the uh, news for example um I think a couple of years ago, during New uh, New Year's Eve, um, um, a couple of um, German women were um, I don't know if they were been if they have been assaulted but but grabbed or you know um, catcalled and um, definitely um, put in a really uncomfortable, even violent um, position. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this occasion was used to argue that Muslim men, refugee men, especially from North Africa oh and Maghreb, are not, um, should not come to Germany because they have no culture, they're all sexist, they're like animals, you know? Like there's really violent language. So when I, and, and I'm, sometimes you're, in a weird position yourself as a woman of color for example you take the tube um i mean the public transportation yeah. and then i don't know a guy with black hair and darker skin is catcalling you or doing something really uncomfortable and mm -hmm. in that moment you have the right to be you know offended but at the same time you don't want to make a scene because you don't want anyone else you know, in the space to use him to yet again start a conversation that might affect example. your father, your brother, your cousins. So you're always in this yeah. weird position where you want to protect your um, minority community because they are under attack and under attack by the political debate, which is much, much larger and stronger. Yeah. And at the same time, you yourself affected by their behavior because yeah of course they're sexist but not just them you know so this is like the weird um intersection that we are in and this is why i actually really like the concept of intersectional feminism to uh -huh. always be aware that you're not you never have a single position or a single perspective you can think from you know different perspectives and how can you find a solution where you use your privilege and also um, you know not create more harm in a way of course and that, that that's such a self-aware like way of going about understanding your position as well i i like 
I can't even imagine how important that is for a society or a minority in a, in a, in a larger society that you're living in. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get the last part. <laughs> I just I, I completely agree with you. Like you're the way you're looking at it of understanding your privilege and understanding the resources and and coming together with changing the narrative of what's happening in society and and utilizing that to get give a voice to the community. I think is super important. So I love the fact that you're doing yeah. that. The way you're kind of going about it. Also, thank sorry? you. Also, the element of education and class, um, you know, plays um, in, um, for example, I, the, the German or the white people, the Western people, even like people in general that I meet, they talk to me in a different way than they would talk to my cousin who works as a, I don't know, in the kitchen, you know, in the mm -hmm. restaurant and never meets them. Yeah. Um, and I didn't for a very long time I didn't realize that like I would defend you know I would defend them I would be like you know not all Germans are like that I mean there are also pretty tolerant ones um, um, there are ones who um, understand um, our position our problems who, who, who want to understand and so on and then my cousin told me like yeah but they those people, if I serve them in the service sector, if I go and serve them food, they don't talk to me or look at me the way they do, uh, the way they do with you, you when you sit yeah. at that table as an artist or as an academic. So there's also the element of class. So I'm super privileged and knowing that they listen to me because I fluently speak their languages and I travel and, and you know, I'm considered a um, public intellectual, uh, puts me also into into the position and gives me the responsibility to be um, outspoken about the harm 100%. they inflict on people like my cousin who don't have the access to vocalize this problem. A hundred percent. And I think that this exact, this exact thing that you've said, I think comes into play in every single country and every single uh, community, to be honest, like how people do look yeah. at, like an academic who might be from the minority um, have has gone to SOAS but lives in London but it is is from um, a rural community in, in Pakistan or Afghanistan or, or Bangladesh or anywhere else is looked at very differently for even over here if you look at the people that are building the buildings and then you look at someone who went to university and, and is doing um, work with the government you you can see the difference in how people treat each other for sure yeah I have a question. Um, when you were going, like, because I'm actually very curious about this, is when you were going back to Kabul and when you were speaking earlier about the instance which kind of brought you to this trajectory of your art um, and what you got into, what, what got you curious and, and kind of got you to where you are today, um, how did you make that break? Because, like, for me personally, like, I used to go back. My Pakistan was only my cousins and my like immediate relatives or my friends, my parents' friends. Like I had no interaction with any person outside that circle. And that shifted what I thought of the country for a very, very long time. And I had a very negative outlook on the country and I refused to go and I would be dragged. But then 
like four years ago when I went with a friend of mine because of a couple of meetings. And then for the first time, I was like, I'm not going to see any of my family. I'm not going to see any of my cousins. And I'm going to go out as if I travel. Just like you said, we're very privileged to be have the ability to travel. Um, and if the security element isn't an issue, um, I traveled to Lahore, Islamabad and all these places with my friend. And I met people and made friends. And they gave me a completely different outlook of the country, which I did not have growing up. And growing up, I had this distaste, which then when I went on this one trip, started a trajectory where now I go back every couple of months and have my own set of friends and, and love the cultural elements of that are developing in Pakistan and, and looking at the history and um, traveling around the country but with my own eyes, with my own lens. Um, and that this the thing that you were seeking with your art, I feel like now I'm that trip started this journey of me seeking my own heritage and my own culture as well in a different way. Um, and there was that need for connection for me at least as well. Yeah, also for me, um... You know, I also grew up with a lot of shame. I was ashamed of being Afghan because yeah. I went to school when 9-11 happened, right? Like no yeah. one knew what, Af first of all, no one knew what Afghanistan was. <laughs> and then suddenly everyone knew it was the country, like the terrorist country. And um, so I grew up with a lot of shame and um, feeling of guilt. And for me, it was um, also therapeutic, no wait, not therapeutic right yeah, yeah. um to um to solve that shame to deconstruct it and realize that there was a lot of stereotyping and internalized racism that i started believing what i was being shown by media about um a super complex country like no one is so i mean never ever can a country be so um essentialist and so simple and so yeah. um backwards as um it is being shown in western media right so for me uh -huh. um going there and meeting people who also didn't give up um uh, was really inspiring because i mean there was everyday terrorism in afghanistan suicide bombings you know in every corner a lot of poverty um the us um military presence was still um you know visible like on the street you could see american soldiers just pointing with their guns and you could be shot at any moment and there is like mm -hmm. literally no justice but at the same time people had um visions um and they were hard working and they did so much um although the situation looked so um, hopeless from the outside that was yeah. just inspiring for them and it also um created this feeling of i don't like the feeling of pride for something that you didn't do anything for i mean just because you're born in a way you know you're born in a different um in a particular community you can't be proud of it you know being born mm -hmm. is nothing to be proud of but still um having a feeling of pride instead of feeling of shame and realizing being part of a society that lived through conflict can also be a resource and being a refugee can be a um, resource of knowledge and experience 
um, to criticize the current system, to see more than people who just lived a good life all their life and don't know about the problems in our world. Um, you know, feeling not guilt, but responsibility and having pride and shame, that was the shift. And also a shift that um, um, was important for me because before that, I saw Afghanistan through the nostalgia of my parents who kept talking about the past, the, about the before war time that I, ha I had no access to. And also yeah. um, it was yeah. the s small bubble of, you know, my relatives um, living their private lives and their particular they have a particular family tradition, they have a particular interpretation of religion, a particular, they're a particular ethnic group, and so they can't be representative of um, the whole country. And just understanding, oh my God, Afghanistan is bigger than my family, was 100%. also just mind-opening. And it's so yeah. important. Um, actually, uh, I was having a conversation with my brother and another friend of mine, and my brother was talking about um, the Saudi rebellion in 1979, the Iranian revolution in 1979, and then the Afghan war. And this was more of a tech thing that we were discussing. But what was so fascinating for me was if you look at today and you look at these countries, Pakistan, um, Afghanistan, Iran, Saudi, about 70, 60 to 70 percent of those populations are below the age of 30. But then all yeah. of these things which created this religious um, persona of the country happened at a time where majority of the people that are in the country were not even born. So our only connection with that nostalgia is the parents and the people that have either been there in that time period, but whatever is happening right now, we don't even, the, the stuff that we're living through, we didn't even kind of understand why that happened unless you really look into yeah. the time period of pre and post 1979 yeah and also we don't i mean the nostalgia is also an effect of um actually not knowing a lot you know we don't really have a lot of um knowledge production about the past that is critical and that is not biased by a particular view from our families or from a particular ethnic group in the case of Afghanistan. So um, like how can we have um, access to the past um, that is um, inclusive of all positions? Also, for example, after the war, after the Cold War in Afghanistan, um, how the history is being told is always, uh, you know, I don't want to say like the parties that win, the winners are telling the history. It's not like that, not fully, um, but they are the loudest. So how can we tell the history in a more inclusive way and a more diverse way, have like put different perspectives about um, um, that time um, and also reconcile because, um, yeah, as you said, like there are like children who just live through war, just live through tra trauma. So yeah. how can we solve this trauma with honesty? And honesty includes um, acknowledging that some communities um, have done, you know, massacres, have done 
some horrible things towards other communities and yeah. um we really need a lot of research towards that and it's i mean i founded a collective um with three other um afghans who live abroad we're not so much involved in political history, but really in, you know, we also realize there's a lack in general when it comes to history and archiving and documenting our past to create, to be able to create the present and the future. And mm -hmm. for example, there is like no, nothing about um, Afghan visual arts, um, contemporary and modern art. Most of the institutions that are involved in this are not locals or not, um, cultural Afghans, they're, I don't know, like NGOs, um, Institut Francais, the Goethe Institute, the German, um, who's, uh, which is working with the German embassy, you know, like there's always foreign political interest and um, pushing art and cultural production. And there are no art spaces, while art spaces could be those, you know, less politicized, um, open critical spaces where these things could be talked about and negotiated. Yeah. So what we are doing is also bringing people together that are not anymore, um, you know, you can't reduce, for example, Afghan identity mm -hmm. to the territory. You can't reduce it to a particular to a singular experience because there has been so much, there has been so much violence and there has been the war, so people moved all over the world. They have complex and multiple identities, but they have still um, a connection to Afghanistan or um, something that is being called Afghanistan. So what yeah. is that and how can we find um, at least like one digital space? That's what we are doing. Um, where you can have access and find different perspectives about that. I love that. I mean, I think it's such an important initiative that you guys are taking. One, I love the fact that you guys are all over the world. Um, and it's so important for cultural preservation to have um, one destination where you can see your truths. So whether it be someone's nostalgia, whether it be someone's familial history, whether it be contemporary art, it's it, it really is important. and. And it's, I, 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 I'd be very curious to know more about how, like, I, I don't even know how you would go about getting all of that information and, and how do you kind of spread that message to, to, to collect the data for Ava? Um, I mean, social media really helps. Actually, my whole artistic career is based on access that I got through social media, like my network, my first jobs. You know, um, I got through Instagram, for example, yeah. or Facebook. And also most of my knowledge I got from um, the Internet. And then I kept researching and reading more about it. But, you know, the first time seeing something like, I don't know, feminism, for example, I saw it for the first time online. So I really believe that we can connect through online platforms. I mean, you can say a lot of um, bad things about Instagram. Of course, it's like full of yeah. shit too, <laughs> but yeah. it depends on us how we use it as a tool exactly. to some degree. And um, we realize that everyone has, not everyone, but most of the people have access to um, um, social media because it's used for 
everyday life activities and then being a cultural project um, represented there, um, you also have access to more people than just being, you know, um, a collective that is only talking to curators and museums and so on, because we don't want to be inside of that bubble, but have mm. also access to artists that are in Afghanistan, for example, and don't have the mobility to travel, well, 100%, don't have the mobility or the, well, I don't know, even the um, capital to have a website, you know, like even having a website is something that not everyone can afford. And um, like, how can they maybe just send us their work and we repost it and just um, put their name in our data, in our online archive. And if we organize or curate a show in the future, or even, you know, uh, for example, get hired by a museum to um, suggest artists, we know their name. We, you know, we have their contact, so we can like ask them for artworks. So just like creating a network um, and also creating that network um, in solidarity with Afghan artists. So it's not about them being represented by us and then we take, I don't know, 50% of their income or mm -hmm. we put, um, you know, um, we are artists and curators ourselves and, um, and some of us are born in Afghanistan and some of us have been educated in Afghanistan. Like, um, of course, we live abroad, and that's why we are so privileged and have more possibilities to create this project. And also, this why it's our responsibility to do that project. You know, I completely agree. I think it is um, a massive responsibility and a huge undertaking, um, and such an important um, initiative. And I love the fact that you guys are doing it. Um, and I, I'm like excited to see kind of what comes out and and how you guys go about building this uh, this platform thank you actually during the research for this platform i came across a project for example my in my artwork i have the series about embrace the face you know yeah and um, it's called embrace the face about decolonizing our beauty standards and how me as someone who has no European features like I have a big nose I have like strong features I have a black head body I, how I was constantly put in the position to feel alien and ugly you know while like you know European ideals have been promoted to me as the more female more beautiful version of uh, womanhood and how I was affected by that so most of my work is about um what Sorry, sorry, go on. Okay, um, so most of my work was about the nose and the big nose and appreciating the big nose and against the nose surgery. Um, and then recently through the research for Ava Collective, I came across um, um, Afghan artists in Afghanistan who is from the minority of the Hazara and they have smaller yeah. noses and she, her project was basically about the same body part, but from a completely different perspective. Different Her work was about how she was discriminated to have a small nose. And she had this photo, a self-portrait, where she pulled her nose so it would look um, bigger. And yeah. it was so interesting to me, you know, like being a 
committed to researching different perspectives creates this moment where you realize that from a Western perspective, we are both Afghan female artists and we're put in the same box. But our experience is so different that even the body part of the nose, our relationship towards that and how we have been discriminated based on that is so different. You know, like um, having this diverse um yeah, this diverse knowledge from something that seems so monolithic in Western news, something like yeah. Um, Afghan. Yeah. No, I think it's incredible. I, I love that you were able to find that. It's it's honest it only it honestly does come back to the perspectives, right? And how do we kind of fuel a better perspective other than just our own to kind of understand the full picture of what's going on in the world? um like yeah. there's also that whole uh, that it's it drives me insane like this thing of like how you have to be white and like there's this cream that i used to watch these ads for in in pakistan and yeah even they're actually, lovely oh my god yeah. like i would go insane like what is this like it's, it's so just, crazy and it's and you know it's and it's not just the cream like the cream is connected to the um idea that being brighter makes you more successful more happy and more civilized in a way yeah. like I, I remember this one commercial where um like this one woman she's so sad and then her friend comes and um gives her the bleaching cream the fair and lovely bleaching bleaching cream and then she uses that and she finds a job she's getting married and she smiles she's like literally more fulfilled in her life which is such a lie but also <laughs> such a traditional way in thinking like if we go back to um I don't know, colonial texts, um, also like, um, you know, anti-colonial nationalists in mm-hmm. um, India or in Egypt have um, been writing the same things as um, Europeans have been writing. You know, this constant um, urge to change, to become more modern, and becoming more modern was so connected to a European way of life. Yeah. and. And sometimes I feel like seeing um, Iranian women doing nose jobs or South Asian women using bleaching cream, it's still connected to that mindset, but no one realizes anymore. Like people think it's just about beauty, but actually it's about being a proper modern um, person, Mm -hmm. like having modern personhood, you know? Yeah. And having value in this world. Of course. Oh, I can't like it, hear you. Are you saying something? No, oh, okay. No, I was. I was just saying that it just it just goes so much deeper than just surface level of looks, but like just every single thing that a person represents and the value and ev- like it's just it's so deep rooted the issue. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm very curious about the importance of faces in your artwork. Hmm. Like, it, you mean why? the level of detail um like i look at your work and i look at just the amount of detail and the beauty in in the people that you portray and i know that some of them are real people or most of them are real people but there's this i don't i, I like it's just my perception maybe but there's this specific sadness 
in the eyes of images that you that you do create like where and how does that kind of come about that's so interesting um because in general when people get to know me um you know i can be really funny and so on but there is like always this uh, element of pain that is so um you know everywhere it's like just my biography and my family's biography and just part of my personality i mean i can't switch it off i can switch it on and yeah i guess that's why it's also part of my artwork like i um you know and the seriousness of uh, human existence in a way but at the same time also i'm not taking it too serious like i feel my drawings can also be really funny if you actually pay more attention to them um the paradox element of pain and humor and yeah. yeah why faces i don't know i i just love faces i think maybe yeah i was always concerned about my own face i have the feeling that the first thing that people see the first thing that i see is the face and the facial expression mm-hmm. so for me that was also always the most interesting part of, about human existence like um what you see in a human's face and um so yeah i don't know i also work a lot with um family photography and i also focus a lot on their faces when i do reuse them in my drawings i love it i i I just the way you do like the pieces that you create they're just they're absolutely stunning and the level of detail is is unsurmisable it's great to see and it it really does tell a story in each piece it's so beautiful thank you but yeah oh yeah you also asked about the level of details yeah you know actually i i thought a lot about that and i realized that um you know i'm not from an artistic um family like there is not the people in no, not people i'm sorry my parents people and <laughs> uh, my parents <laughs> whatever i think about social expectations actually my parents expectations so in general <laughs> and my parents of course wanted us to have you know become doctors and lawyers the yeah. typical expectations right and um at the same time, my mother, for example, she's like a really hardworking woman. She does a lot with her hands. Like she's like constantly carrying stuff and using yeah. tools and every doing everything herself and being a war, a war refugee, being um, a working class woman. And she always had to build everything herself. And mm-hmm. um, she was constantly physically involved in creating a life you know creating things so i somehow believe that she would i think unconsciously i somehow believe that she would respect my art more if i also put physical effort in it you know like i i can't appreciate abstract paintings i can you know i can go to galleries and see something um you know like a shape like a blue shape and maybe it's the artist spent i don't know like 13 minutes on it but it's you know it's part of a bigger body of work and i can understand yeah. it intellectually because 
I do consume so much art, but I also get that my mother would never respect that. That like she would, <laughs> she would just be, you know, ask like, what is this? You know, like I can do that myself. Like there is no access um, to this artwork because it's too artistic. Um, so for me, it was important to um, uh-huh. be understood by my mother and to be respected, like my artwork to be um, res- yeah, respected by my mom. And most of my big drawings, um, they are really painful to make, like these little lines, these details, I they took a lot it. of time. I actually have like back pain and my fingers hurt, you know, <laughs> there's so much physical labor involved in that. And I feel like yeah. this makes them worthy. <laughs> and also my mom <laughs> thinks, this makes them worthy maybe that's why (laughs) i'd be curious to see how this relationship evolves in your artwork and as you grow older and as you grow more mature in what you're doing and how this relationship with you and your mother and the relationship with you and your artwork kind of get more contemporary and and less like you know painful for your bank (laughs) yeah yeah, I think maybe now that I had a, one interview with BBC Persia and it wasn't, you know, translated into Farsi and my family watched it and there was this moment of pride, you know, they were like, wow, okay, we understand. And I think now I'm done, you know, like they got it. Now I can finally <laughs> move on to more digital and abstract uh, <laughs> work. No, I'm just joking. I also... I also enjoy drawing that way. It's, you know, it's like meditation in a way. The repetition of the line, the repetition of shape, it clears my mind. I also enjoy it. I'm sure. Another question for you. What are you most, actually a couple, what are you most excited about this year? Um, I'm going to have my first big solo show in Hamburg in my hometown where I grew up and I'm really excited about that I think that will be a milestone yeah have you been working on it or is is it what kind of what are you what are you trying to showcase on that in that exhibition um it's based uh, like the theme is based on on family photography so um I mean the whole thing is called um Wait, I have to repeat my sentence. That's a weird sentence. Uh, <laughs> my solo exhibition, not the thing. My solo exhibition is about um, family, but family yeah. as something abstract. Because, you know, I grew up wanting to be alone, living alone, you know, being in, uh, to be an individual, independent and so on, because I was mm-hmm. so stuck in this collective family dynamics and since I'm actually depending on myself I feel so lonely I mean this whole isolation of neoliberal um, living you know just caring for yourself um, depending on yourself spending every day alone also brings a lot of you know depression and um, loneliness so I started to draw more family portraits in a way because that made me feel closer to my family which is a lie because I don't actually spend that much time with them. So um, my, yeah, my solo exhibition is about how I materialize the idea of the family um, into my work um, to feel closer 
but in fact i yeah create yeah i transform them into objects rather than um having the actual human beings that close yeah. to myself yeah so it's about that very cool i it's it sounds fascinating um where are you based now by the way right now i'm based in berlin um, it just moved back from family. London, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't get that. And your family is still in Hamburg, right? Um, yeah, my uh, father lives in Afghanistan. My mother lives in uh, Germany. Um, so, yeah, we're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like every now third culture family. Um, yeah. I have one more question actually no two one how do you I, okay. like how do you like what is contentment to you now how do you define contentment oh wait i don't know that word like what happiness oh okay um let me ask you oh my god that's a really difficult question let me think i don't really believe in a goal or an an end that leads me to happiness. I think it's a constant process. I mm-hmm. I believe that I'm always evolving. Hopefully I'm always evolving and I'm never satisfied and I will always try to do more and um become more um become more, not better, because I, I don't like the idea of perfection. I think it's yeah. you know like become more. Uh, more experienced, more involved, more connected. And mm-hmm. I think the most important thing for me is to have integrity, to never be fully ashamed of who I am. And, yeah. you know, even be reflective of my mistakes and, you know, not hide any part of my identity and not be ashamed of myself. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I, it's so beautifully put, I think. Um, last question Thank for you. you is what are three experiences that have changed you the most across your life? Mm, wow. Um, I think I one experience that shaped me a lot was um, going back to Afghanistan after graduation, after school, mm-hmm. right? What I said, like turning shame into resource. Yeah, 2012, um, yeah. And the second really impactful experience for me was having, um, yeah, the first year of having exhibitions and being respected as someone who has something to say. Um, yeah, my artistic you know, creating my artistic persona, having an exhibition and people coming, listening to me, I think that shaped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that gave me the confidence to be, to have visions and to be vocal. Yeah. And the third um, really impactful experience was, um, oh my God, I don't know. It's not like just one experience, but in general, like every time I travel to a different country, yeah. And I realize how big the world is. Um, that is really, I think, crucial for me becoming who I am. 
Mushtari, thank you so, so much for taking out the time. Um, thank you. Thank you. And having this conversation with me, I really appreciate it. Um, I had a lovely, lovely talk. Um, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Actually, I didn't even realize it was an interview. It was like a conversation. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. You can find me on Instagram at amadmia, A-M-A-D-M-I-A-A-N, or at the Ahmad Show. If you guys have any questions or concerns, please do share them with me. I would love to hear your feedback. Also, if you guys could rate the podcast wherever you're listening to it, it would mean the world. Um, you can also find Mushtari at Mushtari Hilal on Instagram. Um, so until next week, take care.